You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. RUF, we, we typically go through books of the Bible when we get to this portion of our night, but this semester we're doing something a little bit differently. We're looking at the subject of relationships, and my overarching thesis has been that you were designed to be loved and to love in the context of these four fundamental relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people, and your relationship with the world. We have talked about your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself, and really for the bulk of the rest of the semester, we are going to talk about uh, how you relate to other people. And tonight, we're going to talk about friendship, which, by the way, I forgot this. Where's Caroline Hastings? Caroline Hastings did not plan that. There she is. I made eye contact. Caroline Hastings did not know what we were going to talk about tonight. Can you stand and show everybody the shirt that you're wearing? Look at that. She's wearing a friend's shirt. I, I enjoyed that a lot more than y'all did, I think. But. So let's look at Proverbs 18.24, because tonight we're going to talk about how you relate to friends. How you relate to friends. One proverb, short and sweet, nice and easy. Proverbs 18.24 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let me pray, and then we'll consider this together. Father, thank you so much uh, for tonight. I pray that in these next few moments, you would teach us, that you would lead us into truth. Would you open up our eyes, unclog our ears, and soften our hearts, that we would see and behold the beauty of who you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I recently heard about a, uh, there was an interview done with the CEO of a company in Japan called Family Romance, and odd, odd name for a company, but the business model of this company is that customers hire actors to impersonate friends or spouses or family members. So let's say you graduate from college and you're still single and everybody that you know is married and you're kind of sick of being the single one, well, you can call up this company and hire a husband to kind of function as, a, you know, this really attractive kind of arm candy for you and make all of your other married friends jealous. It's only going to cost you about $100 an hour that he's working and, uh, you know, plus expenses. Uh, there was one story that I read in this interview. There was a guy that paid the company this truckload of money and uh, to hire five employees to fly with him to Las Vegas to just kind of party and have fun and take selfies and group you know, pictures all weekend so that he could post to his social media sites his fun weekend in Las Vegas with all of his cool friends. In fact, the CEO, as he was uh, being interviewed in this uh, article, he himself said that he was hired by a single mother to impersonate uh, the father of, their, of her daughter. And he's been doing this for eight years. The child has no idea that he's an actor. 
but he's an actor. And, and here, here's what's crazy about this. This is, a, this is a legit thing. Here's what's crazy about this. What's crazy about this story is that this company is like killing it. They have eight, over 800 staff members. They are, they are just, the, the CEO is predicting exponential growth in the future. And the article was asking this question, why is this a thing? Why is this becoming like a thing? And the answer of the article is that because our society is becoming increasingly isolated. In fact, what's interesting, I was doing some research this week. You know that cultural analysts, when, when they talk about your generation, when they talk about our cultural moment, the language that they're using is that there is a loneliness epidemic. A loneliness epidemic. There, there have been articles written on the subject of loneliness like crazy recently. There's like this avalanche of like loneliness research. There's... Um, Recent articles from the Washington Post, USA Today, the Boston Globe, New York Times, the Atlantic, on and on, like more and more and more, everybody's writing about this subject of this kind of loneliness epidemic. In fact, I came across this quote this week from a guy named John, Dr. John Cacioppo. Had to have said that correctly. Dr. John Cacioppo, he is the director of the Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. Sounds smart. Center for Chicago, Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience at the University of Chicago. He wrote a book called Loneliness. And here's what he said in his book, Loneliness. He said, when we drew blood from lonely adults and analyzed their white cells, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell to alter the way that their genes were being expressed. What he's saying is we've done research and and loneliness isn't just like a sad feeling. It's not just like a bad mood. It's it's something that's holistically impacting you you physically. In fact, I read a quote uh, that shocked me today. It's from the uh, Surgeon General. He said... Loneliness has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Feeling lonely has the same impact on your lifespan as if you were smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness epidemic. My guess is you can relate to that at some level. I mean, I've talked with several of y'all where you feel like, I don't have friends, I feel lonely, I feel disconnected, I don't have a place where I can belong. You're in this little micro city called the University of Tennessee of you're surrounded by thousands of people every single day, and it can feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm lonely here. And what's crazy is that our, our culture is just, has all of this research, all of this study is just essentially reinforcing what the Bible has been saying all along, is that you were designed to be loved and to love. Intimacy and connection is necessary to your being. It's, 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 Intimacy and connection is just as important as as oxygen is to you. But what's crazy is that our culture has taken all of this pressure of our need for intimacy and connection, and they have loaded all of this pressure into marriage. And our culture has said, if you want your intimacy and connectional needs met, you will find it only and exclusively in romance, only and exclusively in marriage. Previous cultures have said, uh, friendships are necessary and marriage is optional. And our culture has reversed it. We've said friendships are optional 
and romance and marriage, that is necessary. If you want to be a whole person, you want to, be, you want to feel, find happiness, you must get married. The Bible never talks this way. The Bible does not say all of your connection and intimacy needs will ever be found in marriage alone. You were, you were made for more than that. You were made for a, a network, a community of friends. So that's why we want to talk about this tonight. We're going, we're going to start talking about dating next week. And we're going to get into the romance stuff. And I almost skipped this topic of talking about friendship. But when I thought about it, I realized, man, f- friendship is so, it might sound boring. It might sound like, uh, who cares about friendship? This is really probably the most important thing that we talk about for the next few weeks. Friendship. So because it's so important, I'm going to give you a bonus point tonight. I normally give you three points. We're giving you four tonight. Three plus a bonus point. Let's look at these four things. The nature of friendship, the practice of friendship, the relevance of friendship, the source of friendship. The nature, what is it? The practice of it, how do we do it? The relevance of it, why does it matter? And the source of it, how do you get it? So let's start with the nature of friendship. Look at um, Proverbs 18.24. It's making this comparison between these two different groups of people. I'll read it again. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Companions versus friends. Companions are acquaintances. These are people that you have group projects with that you kind of know, kind of don't know. For some of you, these are like your drinking buddies. This, these are just kind of people that you just kind of rub shoulders with sometimes. And you can have lots of companions, but you can't have lots and lots of friends. Friends are something different. And what a friend is, C.S. Lewis uh, has this really interesting image that's helpful. He says, friends are really two people side by side, shoulder to shoulder, looking out at the same thing. They have a shared interest. They have a common interest together, side by side, looking at the same thing. And compared to romantic relationships, which are two people not side by side, but are face to face, they're interested. What they're interested in is each other. But friends are interested in this thing out there. This is why you can look out there and bond and connect with other people over shared interests. Could be anything. Could be UT football. Could be living in the dorms. Could be Star Wars. Could be Drake. I don't know, whatever, whatever y'all are into. The Black Eyed Peas, you know, what the, what the kids are into these days. So you could connect over anything. Friendship is essentially you going through life, loving what you love, and looking next to you and seeing somebody beside you loving that same thing. C.S. Lewis essentially said, friendship is fundamentally you saying, oh, you too? I thought I was the only one. And I included this quote from, uh, from Lewis there in your handout. I'm going to read it to you. I think it's helpful. He says, this is, why, this is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth? And your honest answer is, I don't really care about that. I just want you to be my friend. Then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And I think that's really important because when we start thinking about friendship, we come to a certain place and we're like, I just want to make friends. Where are the friends? How do I make the friends? And that's not how you make friends. You make friends by doing your life and loving what you love and and looking alongside of you and saying, who's next to me loving that same thing? 
So let me talk to the Christians in the room for a second. I know not everybody here is a Christian, but if you're a Christian and you have Christian friends, this means that the thing that you share, the commonality between y'all at its most deepest and core sense is Jesus. You have both seen his glory. You both have tasted his grace. You both believe in his word. You're both on the same mission in life. You both have the same struggles. That is what is common between you two. Of course, you have lots of other things that you might share, but that's like the thing that's most core and central to you. But Christians have a way of kind of always kind of screwing friendships up and th- making things weird because some Christians can make, make the mistake of over-spiritualizing the friendship. There are some Christians that are like, well, this isn't a real friend or this is, not a, this is not a really important friend unless we're always talking about Jesus, unless we're always talking about the Bible. And that kind of denigrates what a, what a, what a, what a real friendship is. It's, 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 it's more than that. And... Uh, it, there's a way to over-spiritualize it and make it seem like if, if we're not always talking about Jesus, then, we're, then you're shallow. So we can get weird and over-spiritualize it, but my guess is for most of the people in this room, we're on the other end of the extreme where we under-spiritualize it, meaning we never talk about our relationship with Jesus with each other. And if you think about it, that's kind of weird. That like here's the most apparently core central thing to my life and we never talk about it. We, we go to church together. We might serve in the same ministry together. We're kind of doing Christian-y things together, but we never pray for each other. We never encourage each other. We never confess our sins to each other. That's just kind of weird, but it's because we've under-spiritualized it. So I think a Christian friendship would look like you are actually talking about your faith when it's appropriate and when it's normal. And you could talk about Star Wars when that's appropriate and normal as well. But essentially, I just want you to understand what the nature of friendship is. It's two people side by side with a shared interest, going in the same horizon, the same direction. That's the nature of friendship. Secondly, let's look at the practice of friendship. And the, I want to, as I've reflected on how UT students do friendship, I this is kind of where this point is coming from. There's a, there's a couple of observations that I've made about how y'all do relationships with each other, and that's where these two points are coming from. How do you, how do you uh, make friends? There's two things that I want to say under this point. There's two things that I think that you need to keep in mind. One is you need to keep in mind that friendship takes time. Every fall semester, I have a conversation with a freshman that wants to transfer because they're unhappy here. And I sit down with this person. This hasn't happened yet this semester, so we'll see. We've still got a couple weeks, I guess. But um, hasn't happened yet. But almost every fall semester, a, a freshman will sit down with me and say, I, I want to transfer. I'm unhappy here. And I sit down and say, okay, hey, what's going on? Like, why are you unhappy? And they say, it's because I haven't found my friend group. I feel lonely. And all of my high school friends are somewhere else. And I want to go transfer and go be where they are. And my response is always like, oh, of course, that sucks. It's hard. I hate this for you. I pray for them. And then I give them my little spiel. And here's my little spiel that I'm going to give to you. Is there a CH in spiel? Is it spiel? It's not spiel. Let's keep going. Um, Here's my spiel is I always say when you think about your relationship with your high school friends, what you don't realize is that what it takes to form friendships is it takes tons and tons of shared experiences. And you're so close and tight with these high school friends, but you, didn't, you maybe didn't realize or even do the math that the reason why you're so tight and, and you have such a connection with these high school people is because you literally had years upon years of shared experiences with them. 
So of course you're closer to them. Of course you, of course you miss them. And when you get to UT, if you expect that level of connection and intimacy right from the beginning, then you, you just, you've forgotten the fact that you've been here for like four seconds. And it doesn't, it takes time for friendships to form. So my, 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 if you're in that spot, and you might be in that spot tonight, my, like, I'm pleading with you to, like, hang in there, to, st- like, stay the course and keep doing what you're doing and keep living your life, loving what you're loving, and keep looking around you to see who's next to me loving the same thing. And if this is any encouragement, I did not, I didn't, like, my college friends, I'm, 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 I've got these three best friends of mine. We live all over the country. Every year we fly together. We all, we all get together and we hang out for one weekend and we've been doing, like, we graduated college 15 years ago. We've been doing this every year. I didn't meet two of those guys until my junior year. Freshman year, sophomore year, didn't even know they existed. And then met them my junior year, and now we're besties. So <laughs> hang in there because it takes time. But here's the, here's the other piece of advice that I want, I want to give you as you think about how to make friends is to keep in mind that relationships also take risk. Takes time and they take risk. So often I'll meet, I'll sit down with a student and y'all will tell me something that's been really hard, something that you're really struggling with, something that's just kind of weighing you down. And I'm so privileged and honored that you would ever involve me in your life at that level. And uh, I usually ask you, who else, like who else knows? Who else have you told? And like 98% of the time, the answer I get is no one. I haven't told any, I haven't told any of my friends. And this is, you know, sometimes even from people that have, like, really tight friend groups. Like, I've, I've never told my friends this. And I, I understand why. I mean, you're scared. You, you, you're embarrassed of somebody else finding out, like, seeing the icky stuff. And I get it. I'm scared, too. I don't want to tell my friends everything. But John Cox, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago, he's a clinical psychologist. I, I heard him say this quote this summer. He said this, You will never grow the parts of your heart that someone doesn't know about. You will never grow the parts of your heart that someone doesn't know about. Like all of that stuff inside of you that is hurting, that is, that is painful, it will not get healed if it stays in the dark. Your addiction, your anxiety, your abortion, your depression, your abuse, your crazy thoughts... None of that st- stuff has a shot of being healed unless it is brought into the context of having a close and trusted friend see it and, and hear it and be with you in it. Now, I'm not suggesting you just find somebody that you met at orientation and then just like dump everything inside of you on them. There is wisdom here. Like friendship, ha- you know, you, you, there has to be trust established. So I heard this this summer and I think this is really, this is a helpful little metaphor I'm going to pass along free of charge. Uh, The metaphor goes, find somebody, any casual friend, anybody that you know, somebody that you just like and want to spend time with, and give them five cents worth of your heart in a vulnerable way. Give them a nickel's worth of your heart vulnerably and see what they do with it. And if they handle it with care and you feel heard, you feel like they handled that well, you feel cared for, then the next time you're with them, give them 10 cents and see how they handle that. You're slowly being vulnerable, but the, the reality is, is that it does involve risk. To move closer towards a deep friendship with someone, it does involve you slowly letting them in on what's in there. 
Every Tuesday morning, I have, a, I have a phone call with one of my three good buddies I was telling you about named Russ. He lives in Virginia. Every Tuesday morning, we have this phone call that kind of functions like a confessional booth for us. We call each other, and we just dump what happened this past week, all of our worries, all of our failures, all of our fears, all of our doubts, everything that we kind of screwed up on this week in marriage and in parenting and in life, and we celebrate with each other, we root for each other, we pray for each other. That, has, that friendship has been one of the richest blessings of my life. But that didn't just happen. I wasn't just able to do that with him when I first met him my freshman year in college. I, that took years and years of me slowly giving him pieces of my heart and then him showing that he's a trusted friend to be able to handle it well. But it takes risk. It takes time. It takes risk. There's so much more we can say about how you do, how you make friends, how you do this practice of friendship, but I'll just... Leave it at that for the sake of time. Point three, the relevance of friendship. What I want to do here is I want to take the concept of friendship and I want to work out its implications for three big areas of your life. How does friendship relate to how guys and girls become friends? How does friendship relate to dating? And how does friendship relate to marriage? We'll just do these one at a time really quick. Guys and girls, can guys be friends with girls? Mm, I wonder what he's going to say. This, I feel like I get this question a lot. Can, can guys and girls, can they have like deep, meaningful, serious friendships with each other? And here's my answer. Of course they can. Of course they can have close, deep, meaningful friendships with each other. But... You do need to know this. Close, meaningful friendships between guys and girls is headed towards one of two destinations. Marriage or wounds. You didn't like that, did you? I was like, marriage? And y'all were like, yeah? Or, oh... If you have a tight friendship with, a, with, with someone of the opposite sex and, and you text all the time and you're studying together and you're talking late at night with each other and you just get each other, that's awesome. You, you just need to know this relationship is going in one of two directions. You could get married, which would be like best case scenario. That's awesome. It seems like y'all should get married or it's going to end in pain and wounds. And I know you don't believe me. You will in 10 years. Come back and I'll prove you wrong. But right now you don't believe me. But let me just tell you this. Deep friendship fosters intimacy. And that intimacy creates, creates a, a bond. And here's the reality. You're not going to bring that intimate bond into your next phase of life. So think about it like this. There's, there's always the reality that if that bond happens, feelings inevitably flow from one side of this friendship or, or, or the other, right? And it's never talked about. If anybody ever asks the guy, like, dude, why are you hanging out with her so much? Like, are y'all dating? He's like, no, she's my, like my sister. And so nobody ever wants to acknowledge this. We're like, we're just friends, but, friends, but feelings are flowing at some point between these two. And so what happens when one of these two people in this friend couple starts dating somebody else or gets married to somebody else? That deep, intimate friendship is not getting carried over into that marriage. Think about me, for example. I don't hang out and have deep, intimate conversations with other women that aren't my wife, and I get up and coffee with them and dump all of my feelings. Like, that would be 
sinful for me to do that. I don't have deep, intimate friendships with girls that aren't my wife. So can you have friendships with guys and girls together? Yes, but... (laughs) It's headed towards marriage or wounds. So my suggestion would be to have, have general friendships with each other. Maybe not spend truckloads of time with each other if you're uh, guys and girls. So my two cents on how that relates to guys and girls. How does friendship relate to the reality of dating? In some ways, this is, I guess, kind of like a, a, uh, a commercial. This is like a trailer for what we're going to talk about next week. But um, here, here's, my, here's my thought. The best, the best dating relationships and really the best marriages are fundamentally friendship with romance sprinkled on top. The best dating relationships and and the best marriages are fundamentally friendship with romance sprinkled on top. For example, uh, I used to be obsessed with hot sauce. I put it, which is relevant, right? I mean, it's... I. uh, I put hot sauce on everything. I put it on pizza. I put it on my eggs. I put it on lasagna. I put it in my smoothies. I put it in everything. And I don't... It's a joke. I'm, I, but I, uh, I don't... My, my spice palate has gotten too sensitive over the years or whatever, so I'm not, a, I'm not a hot sauce guy anymore. But back in the day, I used to put on everything. So picture a slice of pizza with hot sauce sprinkled on top. That is a great example of what your relationship should look like. Here's friendship. <laughs> friendship is the base, it's the substance, and you've got some spice, you got a little spice on top. you got a little romance on top. But what y'all want to do, what y'all want to do is y'all want to reverse it. Y- y'all want all spice and a little bit of substance. Uh, this is why when you walk into a room, like RUF, you immediately scan it and you rule out 98% of the room based on looks. Because you're thinking, I want, I want someone who's like smoking hot, and I want them to be so attractive, and we're just going to have a crazy sexual life together. And maybe, I hope maybe we can be friends. Maybe she's cool. I hope that they're a nice person and we can connect on a friendship level. And what you're saying is, I want, I want a bowl of hot sauce with some pizza bits sprinkled in it. And let me tell you, that might sound good to some of you, but all spice and no substance does not fill you. All spice and no substance doesn't fill you. I'm not saying that you should not be attracted to the person that you're dating or that you should not be attracted to the person that you marry. I'm just saying the best friendships and really the best marriages are friendship with romance sprinkled on top. So so let me talk about marriage then. How does this segue into marriage? Marriage. Friendship is at the heart of marriage. That's what it is. Friendship, marriage is friendship, essentially. But again, I realize 99.6% of y'all in the room are single and not married. And if you're on that side of the fence, looking at marriage, thinking about what marriage could be, my guess is for a lot of you, and especially the boys in the room, you're thinking that marriage is just like a nonstop sex fest. Like when we get married, 
we're not even going to have time to eat. We are, we are, it's nonstop. Let, let me break this down for you. Let me break it down for you. You know I'm right. That's why you're laughing. Here's the deal. There are, there are 168 hours in a week. It's true. I've done the math. 168 hours in the week. Let's just say on average, you have sex one hour a week, which is normal. And if you're like, that's crazy low. I'm, that's, that's not big enough. I'll give you two hours, okay? You can have two hours. What are you doing with the other 166 hours of the week with the person that you're married to? You know what you're doing? Friendship. Marriage is friendship with romance sprinkled on top. And if you don't understand that, then then your approach to marriage is, I want to find the smoking hot person, and I don't really care if we connect personally. I just want to be sexually fulfilled. And you've misunderstood the whole point. That's how friendship relates to guys and girls, dating, and marriage. Here's the last point. Bonus point. The source of friendship. How do you get it? How do you you become the friend that you need to be so that you can make the friends that you need to make? Well, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about relating to your emotions. I I have been thinking about this a lot recently. I've I've been talking about this a lot recently, but do you know what it is that heals you? What heals you is withness. It's somebody being with you. If, if, somebody, if you can give your soul to somebody with all of its warts and all of its shame and all of its secrets and, and somebody can see it and hold you in it and, and not try to fix you and not just kind of blow you off either, but they just they stay with you, that is what heals you. That's what, that's what, that's what makes the pain... Uh, feel a little less painful. This, this is what is behind that word sticks in Proverbs 18.24. It says, the, the reason why a man of many companions comes to ruin is because companions, they don't stick. They come and go. They're flaky. They bail. But a friend, look what it says, a friend sticks closer than a brother. A friend is somebody that can see what is ugly about you, that can see your deepest shame and your deepest struggles, and they don't leave. They stay. They stick. A friend of mine uh, recently told me about this show that he's into on Netflix called um, what, Call the Midwife. Some of y'all might be into this. We got one that's into it. Um, it's this BBC show that's set in London in the 1950s. It's about these Catholic nuns that are midwives. And he was telling me about episode three where there was this one woman named Mrs. Lawson who's pregnant and she's giving birth and all the kind of the midwives are around her. And as she starts giving birth, she starts screaming. There's complications. They try to, they're trying to stop. They don't know what's going on. And, and, and they're, they're like, what's going on? What's going on? And they're screaming. And uh, they say, that the, the midwives say, we have to deliver this baby. And she screams out, I'm afraid. You don't understand. I'm scared. And they're like, why? And she eventually confesses, 
I'm scared it's going to be black. Here's this white woman, and, and the truth of her adultery is about to literally be exposed. And she's scared, so she's holding the baby in. And they eventually encourage her to push, and so she pushes out this black baby. And she's weeping, and she's crying. And here's what she says to the midwives. She says, um, it took me so long to find my husband, and now I'm going to lose him. She knows her marriage is over. He's in the other room. They eventually have to go and they get him and they bring him in. And when he sees the baby, he loses his breath. And he walks up to her and he says, can I hold him? And he's holding the baby and he says this, I don't reckon to know much about babies, but I can see that this is the most beautiful baby in the world. What should we call him? And she says, you choose. And he says, we will call him Edward after me. Now, what do you think she felt in that moment to have her husband see her betrayal and see her adultery and for him not to reject her, but to stay and actually take her shame and actually in some ways make it his and to not leave? My guess is that healed something inside of her. My guess is that healed something to have somebody see what was wrong and they stayed, they stuck. What's crazy to me is if you pay attention to this proverb in Proverbs 18.24, it's, it's worded kind of weird to me. The second part of it, it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. You're like, okay, that makes sense. And then it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's almost like it's talking about somebody out there. Like there's somebody out there that's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I think it makes you ask this question, who could that be? Who's that friend out there that could actually stick closer than a brother? Did you know that um, uh, the night before Jesus died, all of his friends betrayed him? All of his friends, every single one of them, they scattered into the night. In fact, one of his closest friends, Peter, denied ever even knowing him three different times. And so here's all of his friends who they actually just turned out to be companions. And in his hour of need, they abandoned him. And so Jesus became this man of many companions that came to ruin. And what he could have done in that moment when all of his friends abandoned him, he could have said, screw this, I am not going to die for you disloyal, pathetic, backstabbing, half-hearted, fickle, so-called friends. But he didn't. You know what he did? He stayed. He stayed on the cross. He gave up his very life for the ones that he loved. In fact, earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, he says this, greater love has none than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. How do you become the friend that you need to be in order to make the friends that you need to make? You look to Jesus, who is himself the source of friendship. When you know that he is your friend, when however many times that you have abandoned him, left him, doubted him, wanted nothing to do with him, looked at his will for your life and said, screw it, I want to do my will for my life. No matter how many times you have done that, he has proven himself to be a friend that sticks and stays. He sticks 
closer than a brother. We sing the song here at RUF, Abide With Me, and one of the lines is, Thou hast not left me as oft as I left thee. Which is a weird old way of saying, no matter how many times I leave you and abandon you, you haven't left me. This is why we sing, Oh, love that will not let me go. But here's the thing, just like that woman, if you try to hide and hold in your deepest shames and your deepest fears, you will never have the experience of being loved. You'll be liked, you'll be enjoyed, you'll be the kind of person that's fun. But to have your deepest shame brought out into the open and have somebody else see it and stick you will never know what it's like to be loved, to, be, to experience healing, redemptive, friendship love. That's what Jesus does for you. That's what you can do for your friends. That you become the kind of friend that you need to be in order to make the kind of friends that you need to make. But the source of it is in Jesus alone. He frees you to stick to your friends closer than a brother. The invitation for you tonight is to look to Jesus and stick close to your friends. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you love us and that you give us the emotional and spiritual wealth and resources to be good friends. Father, if we are honest, we are flaky, we bail on our friends, we are selfish, we consume uh, people like commodities. And Father, we're thankful that that's not how you treat us. I pray that you would overwhelm us with your love and your grace in such a way that you would empower us to be good friends. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.